Hey guys, welcome. I am uh, really excited and also kind of relieved. I've been waiting to release this episode for quite a while. And uh, this one's the hundredth interview that I've done. So this is the uh, the 100th one. And uh, with that, I just want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for sharing with your friends, with other dads, with, uh, with people that matter. Um, I'd like to think that we're impacting families and and helping guys around the world. I uh, love getting messages from guys here in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, where I live. Um, also, love receiving messages from guys in uh, Australia, Texas, uh, Virginia, South Carolina, North Carolina, um, Wales. I'm trying to think of some of the other. So there's around 40 countries that currently listen to the podcast, uh, give or take, and Always looking to see new countries and stuff, uh, stuff jump on. So anyway, uh, thank you guys. Appreciate the reviews. Uh, love every time you drop an Apple Apple review out there for me um, and give me some feedback on what you like, uh, how it's impacting your life. Um, feel free to shoot me a note, um, the Christian Dad Podcast at gmail.com about anything you'd like to hear on an upcoming episode, a topic you want me to talk about, uh, or jump into the uh, Facebook page. Uh, the journey of a Christian dad on Facebook, jump in that group and uh, post something there. Uh, you might give me some idea of uh, who I want to interview and uh, and what to talk about. But anyway, love the uh, community, love uh, love being able to interact with people around the world and impact families. Um, love to hear what's going well in your life and love to hear also um, things that you're working on, uh, areas of opportunity. So overthinking sometimes uh, causes problems. So this one was a serious, serious case of overthinking. Thought about how I wanted to do the intro on this one over and over and over and what I wanted to bring to you. And uh, ultimately, uh, this is getting released right at Thanksgiving. So just thank you guys. Um, immense gratitude. Yeah, I just appreciate you guys. So with that, uh, kind of intro our guest today. So we uh, he wrote a book called Five Traits of a Healthy Family. And the author's name is Dr. Gary Chapman. <laughs> yes, that Dr. Gary Chapman. He also wrote the book, The Five Love Languages, uh, which is incredible. Side note, uh, that book was released in 1992. 8,500 copies sold the first year. The publisher was thinking around 4,000 copies would sell the first year. Second year, it sold 17,000 copies. And then two years later, it sold 137,000 copies. So typically books get released. And then shortly after they're released, the sales numbers start to decline. That's not what happened with this book. Uh, so the book, The Five Love Languages, that this that book has been on the New York Times bestseller list since 2007. So every year it actually sets the all-time sales record, uh, which is crazy. So... With that said, there's a new book out there called Five Traits of a Healthy Family. So I know that's something that we all want to have. And uh, this book was also uh, very enjoyable to read and gave me some things to think about. And then also a number of different things where I thought, hey, I'm doing pretty well in, in this area. So a couple of the ones uh, the, of the five traits, uh, valuing individual differences. When you think through your different family members and think how they're different how they enjoy being loved and how you actually do love them, how they behave or misbehave. Everybody's different. So think about them as an individual and value uh, what makes them different. So you can be upset about what makes them different. Um, 
I'm thinking of uh, some things in my family, even over this weekend, which was a great weekend. Uh, (laughs) Nevertheless, moving on, moving on. So effective communication. So people, situations, times, how do you effectively communicate? What does that actually mean? Uh, They dive into the book on on that topic. And another one, uh, creating a loving environment. So Dr. Gary and I talk about in the podcast about creative teaching and training and also consistent discipline. So think about how you discipline and does that also create a loving environment? So discipline is love and think about how you actually administer the discipline. Uh, So Dr. Gary dives into that in this podcast. So you'll be able to hear some examples and it may be very similar to what you do. It may be a lot different than what you do. So uh, upcoming in this podcast, there's bunch of great, great stories that he shares. Uh, Dr. Gary is really, really open in this podcast. He talks a whole lot about loving your wife, gives us some specific uh, ways to do that, some specific ways to think. Uh, and he's got some fantastic questions to ask others and also reflect upon for yourself. So with that, we will jump in and I will let you enjoy this recording with Dr. Gary Chapman. Catch you guys uh, at the end. I got some stuff for you at the end too. So uh, look forward to hearing your feedback at the Christian Dad Podcast at gmail.com. Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewigs. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Dr. Gary Chapman, so excited to have you with us here today. Welcome. Well, thank you, Dan. It's great to be with you. Yeah, yeah. It's great to see you again on the screen. Uh, you were here in, in person in St. Louis a little while back. We got to meet. It was uh, just an awesome, awesome meeting that we had. And the things you shared, hearing from people in a conversational way, Q&A type way, really helps me understand the book quite a bit better. So yeah. you, were t- you were talking about the love languages. And we just started talking about your new book, Five Traits of a Healthy Family. And you were telling me about um, kind of your motivation for writing this book. And I loved what you said. Yeah. And then, you know, I've just in my counseling and, of course, just generally in the population, there's so many people who grew up in dysfunctional families and they don't know what a healthy family looks like. You know, but I remember a young guy who, who said to me, he said, uh, Gary, he said, uh, I grew up in a dysfunctional family. My father was an alcoholic. My mother and dad never got along. And he said, here I am. I finished college. I've got a job. Someday I hope to get married. I don't even know what a healthy family would look like. And he asked me if he could move in with us and live for a year <laughs> and see what a healthy family would look like. <laughs> and I said, well, I tell you what every wise husband would say. I said, let me talk to my wife about that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I did talk to her and uh, she had already met John because He'd been living in the city in the summer with some other college grads. And uh, she said, well, you know, Gary, that might be a good idea. And I said, well, Carolyn, where, where would we put him? We've only got three bedrooms and they're already full. We had two children, you know. 
she said, well, the basement's open. We could just put a wall down there, put a door in and make a room, you know. I said, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so we talked with the children. The children liked the idea of having a big brother. So we invited him to come and live with us for a year and that just was observe a, our family. That was John? It was John, yeah, yeah. It was, it was really a pretty powerful year for him and us. And he looks back on it. And he, like he told me, he said, Gary, he said, I don't know what my life would have been like if I hadn't lived with y'all that year. He said, because I, I, first for the first time in my life, I saw what a healthy family looked like. So, you know, not everybody's going to have that opportunity or be willing to do that. <laughs> and I was just glad John did not move in with us the first three years of our marriage, because if he did, he would never have gotten married because <laughs> we had a lot of problems <laughs> in the first three years of our marriage. But by this time, we had a growing marriage, you know, so. <laughs> That's great. That's great. It's nice to hear that there's hope. I was talking with uh, Dr. Kim Kimberling, a marriage counselor also, and he's like, no, nah, the beginning of our marriage wasn't exactly sunshine and roses like we had some pretty big problems and he even brought up that they were talking about getting divorced wow wow well i remember the feeling that this is not going to work you know in my mind i'm thinking this is not going to work we're just too different we're we, all we do is argue and and i don't see how this is going to work so i i remember that feeling we did not we did not we're not open to the idea of divorce because both of us were christians and we believe that marriage was a covenant that we made before God. So we, in our hearts, we knew somehow we've got to find, we've got to find answers here. But uh, I know that feeling. And, you know, I, looking back on that, Dan, I think God allowed us to go through that uh, to prepare me for the ministry I've had working with couples through all these years, because I have great empathy when people empathy, sit in my absolutely. office. You know, yeah. And then they say, we have no hope. It's just, it's just too much gone on too long. And I, I can feel that, you know, and I sometimes say, I can, I can see that. I can see how you'd get there. I said, so why don't we do this? What if you go on my hope for a while? Because I have hope for you. I mean, I, I remember when I had no hope, so I have hope for you. So if you're willing to go on my hope, then we'll just, let's just try some things and see what happens. So, you know, God, God uses even our hard times uh, for his purposes, I think, in our lives. We were having a discussion with my family after church this weekend, and that was a point that I brought to my daughter. She said, "If you know this circumstance, then then this is the next logical thing." And I said, "Yeah, that does make sense." However, when you put suffering and what you learn through suffering, and what other people learn when they see the suffering, like there could be a whole lot of good coming from this. So, you know, your logical answer isn't one that God accepts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our ideas are not always God's ideas. And our plans are not always God's plans. Our plans are definitely not. <laughs> this podcast would not exist if it was my plans. That's for dang sure. So, so um, I had a I had a listener ask, and he says, "Can you ask him how anxiety and depression affect having a healthy family, or affect the giving and receiving of love languages?" And I feel like that one's a question that uh, a lot of the a lot of the people that listen also have. Yeah, well, no question about it. You know, anxiety and depression affect all all of life, and certainly affect the marriage, and certainly affect the fam the family life. Uh, I remember uh, we were doing the book on five love languages of children, and a young man who was uh, I don't know thirteen or so, and he he talked about how the time he and his dad spent together and how wonderful it was, and he said, "I don't do much with my mother because uh, she's 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 sick and she she's she stays in bed a lot, and you know." And, and, and hers was was a problem with depression and anxiety. So no question about it. It affects uh, the family life. 
And that's why, you know, if you're if you're struggling with depression and anxiety, you want to do everything you can to, to try to find answers to that. You know, where is it coming from? Is it physically based? Okay, medications can help with that. You know, is it spiritually based? And certainly God can help with that, you know. So I think uh, we have to acknowledge, first of all, that we that we are troubled with uh, with the depression. We are troubled with anxiety and we spend far too much of our life, you know, just kind of rolling all that stuff around in our minds and, and just kind of, you know, withdrawing and staying in bed or whatever. And, and to say, you know, we need to find some help. And uh, chances are your spouse will help you, whether it's the male or female that's struggling with this. Your spouse will help you find uh, some help in your community. And one place to, to do is just call the ch- call the churches that you trust and, and ask the pastors, you know, whom do you recommend? Because they, they have people come to them all the time. You know, they know who the Christian counselors are and uh, they can help you, uh, whether it's medical or whether it's uh, whether it's uh, emotional or spiritual. Hmm. That's great. Yeah, that one's a big, big topic, and I agree. People need to to dive in, and that's a great resource is going to people you trust, especially the pastors and people at your church. In in the book, I love this little piece, and I love the way that you you brought it up. You talk about the importance of having dinner together uh, and how important that is to have a healthy family. And a little twist on it that I don't hear people talk about, you mentioned Dr. David Graham Blaine, chief psychiatrist at Harvard said the most serious problem with television isn't the poor programming. I don't know if I agree fully with him or not, but his premise is it destroys the average family's conversation at the evening meal. When people are anxious to see a show, they rush through the evening meal. And I absolutely agree with that. When the tablet's sitting right there, when the adult's phone is sitting on the table, when the TV's, you know, you can see it. Yeah. And yeah. like, you know, dad, Dad, can I get up yet? Dad, can I get up yet? I've already eaten the appetizer. Like, can I get up yet? I'll come back for dessert later, Dad. Like, let's go. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. That's why, you know, uh, Carolyn and I were really strong about this. Uh, We said uh, our our table, our dinner at night is for two things. First of all, we talk to God and thank God for the food. Then we're going to talk to each other. Mealtime is a time to talk to each other. And so not just while we're eating, even after we finish eating, sometimes we would sit there for 30 minutes and sometimes longer as the kids got older. Uh, and, and I think that's important. Yeah, in fact, our kids look back and say, that's one of the biggest, fondest memories we have. It's just sitting as a family at the table and talking. We just had two children, you know, you have more children, they'd be more talking. Uh, but uh, uh, there are many, many families that, that do not have a meal together. I mean, you know, they're just and, and we had to we had to shuffle because our, our, our son played basketball. And so sometimes we had dinner early. Sometimes we had dinner later. Uh, but if you really believe that it's important, then you can make the schedule work, whatever, whatever's going on. In the, in, in the book, guys, it mentions 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. for dinner. So when he says you work around <laughs> things I'm like 4 p.m. for dinner, huh? <laughs> well, you know, if you got to do something after that, it's going to last three hours. You got to eat early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, of and course, actually, you know, I'll be... four to five is more the norm for my mm-hmm. house. Like I try to get home from work early and, you know, yeah, yeah. Beat, beat my well, kids on the dinner table. I always tried to get home by uh, by 3.30 because that's when our kids got home from school. I mean, of course, you know, I was on a pastoral staff. 
and pastors can control pretty much, you know, when they when they stop for that the day, at least at the office. And I know that others can't. Sometimes you have to work till five or sometimes other hours and all that. And we have to work around our work schedule as well as the kids schedule. But I think it's worth having some time together like that on a regular basis, you know, rather than just every once in a while we might talk because you can go you can go for weeks and have no real conversations in a family, if you don't have a time that you sit down and, and, and you're going to sit down and eat anyway. So you might as well make, and that's just the easy one, I think, to make it a time to talk. I hadn't thought about bringing this up, but there is a statistic out there and I forget exactly what it is. I may be off a little bit. Do you know how many seconds that the average father spends talking with his kids per day? You know, I think I have that in one of my books. It might even be this one. I don't know. But uh, in my mind, it was like 30 or 40 some seconds. Yes. Yeah. I think it was 37 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And may- yeah. Maybe I got it from one of your sources, but <laughs> yeah, I, for- I forget where I picked that up. And I thought, are you kidding me? 37 seconds. Yeah. And when I, you know, thought that through a little bit more and applied it to my own family, I'm like, well, it's not ours. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Dan. I was at a funeral not too long ago, and there was a young man there. His father had died, and I had never met this young man. He, he, he was probably 25, 26, 27 years old. And I had a conversation with him after the service was over at the graveside. And, and we were talking. I said, I said how did you, you and your dad get along? What kind of relationship did you have? And he said, Dr. Chapman, I, I didn't know my father. I said, really? I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, he worked five days a week. He was out of town all week long. And he said on Saturdays, uh, he said he, he was, he was, out, he was played golf with his friends. And on Sundays, he slept till, till about uh, 10 or 11 o'clock. And then he watched football all afternoon on TV. And he said, I just never got to know my father. And then tears came to my eyes. Mm. I thought, you know, here's a father who's, who's providing for the family to be sure, you know, financially, you know, he had a good job and he was, he was providing for the family, but so little contact with his son that the son said, I, I, I never knew my father. It just, it's just painful. And, and I think sometimes fathers don't realize the, the, the lifelong impact that we either have or don't have, uh, on our, on our children. If we if we do or don't spend time with them and talk about life, all of life, you know, whatever they're interested in, we're we're with them talking about it. So, you know. Yeah. So so that's one of the characteristics of a loving father is to be involved in your kid's life and give some time intentionally to your kids. Yeah, absolutely. I know on the podcast we talk about individual time with kids and also as a family, but, uh, you know, separating them out sometimes and doing something with them where you have some yeah. availability to talk, whether it's driving in the car with them or but paying attention in it and doing intentional things. Something in your book I loved was uh, the creative teaching. Yeah. You know, we, we, we teach and train our children, and I put those two together because teaching involves mainly words. Training involves actions. You know, if you're going to teach a child how to wash a car, for example, you can talk him through it, you know, start at the top and get the water down. And so you can talk him through washing a car and that's fine. But then you get out there and you do it with him and he's got it now. It's the words and actions together. You know, uh, I remember when my son was a teenager, probably 14 or so, I would go down to the juvenile detention center uh, once a month on Saturday night and play ping pong with the young men and, and just co- have conversations with them who were, who were there. And I started taking him with me uh, on those Saturday nights. 
and we would just sit, we we would play ping pong and we would talk, you know, and so forth. And and these these guys would tell us their story and how they got there, you know, the mm. juvenile detention center. And uh, we would drive home, and I'd say, Derek, think about it, son. That that guy we were talking to is your age, and he's there because he broke the law, you know, whatever it was, whatever he had told us. I said, isn't that sad, you know? And we just talk about it. So. You know, I could have lectured him about the danger of drugs or alcohol or whatever it was that was involved there. You know, I could have lectured him, and that would have been okay, too. We need to give them information. But uh, taking him there to see the consequences of, you know, wrong behavior had a bigger impact than just words. So words and actions, if we put, them, we put those two together. I remember, and I don't know if I have this in the book or not, but I remember a story by E.V. Hill. He was an African-American pastor. Uh, he's in heaven now. But he was in the Watts area of Los Angeles. And yeah. He said he said he was 14 and he never had alcohol. And one night he was out and his, his buddies talked him into drinking a beer. And then another one and another one and another one. He said, I got drunk. And I came home and threw up on the floor in my bedroom and just fell in the bed. And my mother came in and saw the situation and, and she just kind of closed the door. But the next morning she came in and said, Evie, get out of bed clean this mess up on the floor. You and I are going on a trip today. And he said, Mama, I don't want to go on a trip. <laughs> she said, E.V., I didn't ask you. I'm telling you, we're going on a trip. He said, I got up. I cleaned it up. I took a shower. Mom and I got, you know, went down to the subway station. We went in the subway and we rode away. I had no idea where we were going. I asked her and she said, you'll see. She said, we finally came up on the streets and I realized I'd never been here before. And he said, I was on Skid Row. He said, mm-hmm. my mother would every Thursday night would go down to the rescue mission and help cook. And all the men in, in that whole area, they knew mama. And they would say, Mama Hill, what you doing out here so early in the morning? And he said, my mother would say, this is E.V., my son. He wants to live down here. So I brought him down here to show him what it's like. He said, we walked the streets all day. That <laughs> night, mother took me to the rescue mission. I went through the whole deal at the rescue mission. He said, I never drank another drop of liquor in my life. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, it was actions along with the words that, that get the attention. So I think whatever the subject, uh, if we can tie those two together, we're going to be more effective in, in communicating to our children things that are really important in life. Yeah, it, it made me think about the teaching side or instructing side. And rather than just teaching, instructing, telling, pointing, yeah. you know, having yeah. a, having some, having some way to make it fun. So I coach a softball team and it's like, how do we inject fun into this process? Um I got to spend a little bit of time with uh, the NL MVP of uh, Major League Baseball, the current one. Uh, his name's Paul yeah. Goldschmidt. And uh-huh. Paul was telling a story. He said, uh, it was my son's birthday and we we're having a party. Of course, we had a game that night. And I thought, wow, wouldn't this be neat if I could hit a home run for my son's birthday? Hmm. And I went the whole game and I came up in the ninth inning with the bases loaded. And I thought, wow, <laughs> this is it. This is it. This is going to be good. I can't wait to hit this home run. And I didn't do that. Instead, I got out and the game was over. <laughs> I was riding around with my son and I was super, super sad, almost crying. Just And my yeah. son says, Dad, are you sad? What's wrong? And he yeah. thought, yeah. I'm trying to explain to my son exactly what I'm thinking. And I want to hide it from him, but I let him down. I let myself down. I let all the fans of St. Louis and Cardinals down. And I thought, you know, let me ask him a question instead. He says, hey, son. I'm sad right now. You ever think Jesus got sad? <laughs> yeah. And he yeah. says, well, dad, I don't. And his son was like five. And he says, dad, I don't, I don't really know. I'm not, I'm not sure. 
And he says, well, I think he did. And then he told him a little bit about why he was sad. And he goes, I think Jesus yeah. is sad sometimes when we do certain things and he sees certain things happen. And he just kept going about his way. But he's yeah. like, I saw a little opportunity there to bring faith into it and bring my faith into yeah. it. And, and uh, in your book, you talk about the husband, the father, bringing in the values and spiritual direction, the, yeah. the things that are yeah. important to him. And I thought, man, yeah. it's kind of cool that I just heard this story from Paul and yeah. he's trying to approach it with, he's got a little daughter, little, little five-year-old son or so. And he's yeah. like trying to figure this out as I go and trying to look for opportunities. So guys, in addition to the plan time where we've got the dinners, we've got the churches, we've got the car rides, there's also these things that just come up and you can look for creative ways. So I love that I just read your book and that came up and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I constantly look for these creative ways to interject faith into things. Oh yeah. Because if we're walking closely with God and God's involved in everything we're doing, it's pretty easy to see those kind of situations, you know, be aware of them. So there's a crazy, and it shouldn't be crazy, uh, but people read into things or people think things. And, uh, Sometimes in in your book, you've mentioned females have a big problem with it. And I think men do too, but men are the leaders of the house. Yeah. 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 You know, in our culture, uh, it's kind of a, a spot where people get defensive, especially women, you know, I don't want, he's, I don't need a leader, you know, and, you know, and I understand that because I think, I think Christians have sometimes misinterpreted, you know, that concept where it says the husband's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And, and some men have used contemporary examples and say, well, I think that means that, that he's the president. He's the vice president <laughs> or he's the general tells her what to do. No, no, no. The model is right there. He said, we're the head as Christ is the head of the church. Well, what did the head of the church do? He died for the church. <laughs> the leader is willing to die for his wife. You know, the, the whole thing is serving her. That That's leadership. We take the initiative to step out and serve her and serve the family. And uh, and that includes the spiritual aspect of life. And uh, it's our it's our model and our openness to talk about spiritual things with our with our family that uh, that this is a big part of, of our leadership. And I find a lot of wives who say to me, I just wish my husband would take some leadership in the spiritual things. She said, we wouldn't be having devotions if, he, if, if it was left up to him. But he, he, he didn't initiate it. And I, I really carry the ball with that. I, I wish he would take the initiative and, and have a devotional time with our family every day. So uh, I don't think wives are going to rebel against a husband who has that concept of leadership, you know, uh, but yes, if we feel like uh, I'm the president and da 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 da, then yeah, you're gonna find rebellion on the part of wives from that. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I loved how you wrote it in there because this is the thing that fires me up. You wrote the husband with the iron fist. You know, he leads with the iron fist, or the other type, the uninvolved. And I, I too feel like the uninvolved is the biggest problem. You know, there are some difficult guys out there. However, there's also the ones that just back away. And the way you wrote it was who outsources everything to his wife. Yeah. 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 I remember when uh, I remember when I got fired, I I shrank my wife's sweater. Therefore, I was never allowed to do laundry ever again for the rest of my life. And there are a few other things that happen like that. You just gave a guy some idea. If I could just do that, (laughs) I won't have to do that. (laughs) 
I now got back in the good uh, graces and I get to do laundry again and on and on and on. But like uh, you can get fired from all these jobs and, you know, abdicate things or outsource it intentionally or whatever it is. And, and guys, that is not the, the way to do it. This uninvolved passive uh, husband and father is not the way to do this thing. Yeah, that's for, that's for sure. You know, in every area, I think we need to be involved. And, we, and obviously, we can't do everything. And, and our, we are teammates with our wives. You know, we're on the team. And some things she's better at than we are. And some you're better than hers. And you got to use the best team member in deciding who's going to do what, you know, and how to do it together as a team. Yeah, you've got a few different lists in here. And I thought they were great characteristics of a lo- loving husband and characteristics characteristics of a loving father. And then you expand in each of the different areas. Is there a, a characteristic that you, you want to talk about, whatever, whatever it is? Well, you know, I, I, I don't have that list in front of me, so I don't remember even what I put in there, to be honest with you. But I, know they were, I know they were practical and helpful. You know? I, well, I've, I've got them here. Well, read me a couple. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, we just talked about it, but a loving husband views his wife as a partner, so I teammate teammate helpmate yeah yeah that's a simple one and he he gives priority to his wife that's another one he gives that's another one absolutely you know and i've had some husbands say well what do you mean i think god should have the priority i say yes you're right but if a christian husband reports to god for duty god says oh you see you're married so your first priority is your wife okay and then we'll do some other stuff so that's what i mean by that but she's the priority even over the children because I don't, you can't separate those, obviously, but, but giving your children a model of loving your, your, your wife is a way you're serving your children because the model is going to carry them through into their adulthood. They're going to remember what they saw you doing and saying for your, to your wife and what she did and said to you. So yeah, extremely important. Yeah. Prioritize, cherish. Those are words that I love to think about when yeah. I think about my wife. Have you got a suggestion? for guys so they can check themselves to see if they are prioritizing their wife? Well, yeah, I, I suggest guys say once in a while to their wives, honey, on a scale of zero to 10, how well am I doing as a husband? And she'll give you a number. And if she says anything less than 10, you just say, well, g- give me an idea or two of how I could be a better husband. And most wives will give you an idea or two, you know. And I would just say one or two. You, know, you can't handle ten. <laughs> ten. You just, just give me give me one or two, and uh, and then you work on that. I mean, you don't know what she's thinking or feeling unless she tells you. You don't know what she wishes you would be doing. I've had some wives say, "Well, I just wish he would do it without my having to tell him." I said, "Look, your husband's not not a mind reader. He can't read your mind. So let's 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 make it easy for each other." And so she, and she, if you do this to her on a scale of zero to 10, you know, then she'll probably do it to you. Well, honey, on a scale of zero to 10, how well am I doing as a wife? And you give her a number and then she said, well, give me one or two things I could do or not do that would make it better for you make me a better wife. You know, that kind of openness where you're really asking for it, because we don't have a time, you know, scheduled when you're going to tell me something you want me to change. But if you, if you choose the time when you're feeling well and ask for it, you make it easy for them to share something with you. And now you've got information to work on. So it can be really, really helpful. Yeah, I think this book is just such a great companion book to the five love languages. You shared a story when you were in St. Louis, and I thought it was valuable. And I want you to share it with the audience if you can. It was the lady that came in to your office, and she says, 
and she was with her husband. She says, Hey, Dr. Chapman, me and my husband, we've been together a long time. We never fight. Money's right. Uh, kids are right. Everything's, everything's going along great. I just feel like he doesn't spend time with me and, um, it doesn't love me anymore. And I don't yeah. feel like I love him anymore. Yeah. And then you turn to the husband and yeah. said, what do you, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. I turned to him and he, he said to me, uh, I, I don't understand her. He said, I do everything I can to show her that I love her. And, and she sits there and tells you what she's been telling me. She doesn't feel loved. He said, I, I don't know what else to do. I said, well, what do you do to show your love to her? He said, well, he said, I get home from work before she does. So I start the evening meal. And sometimes I have it ready when she gets home. If not, she'll help me. And he said, after we eat, I wash the dishes. And he said, every Thursday night, I vacuum the floors. And on Saturday, I wash the car. I mow the grass. I help her with the laundry. And he went on. And, and, and Dan, I was beginning to wonder, what does this woman do? It sounded to me like he was doing everything. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I do all of that. And she says she doesn't feel loved. He said, I don't know what else to do. I looked back at her and she said, he's right. He's a hardworking man. And then she started crying and she said, but we don't ever talk. We haven't talked in 20 years. He's always mowing the grass, washing the dishes, vacuuming the floor. We don't ever sit down and talk to each other. Now, she didn't mean that they didn't discuss logistics. You know, who's going to pick up the kids at school or who's going you know, where you want to go for dinner or whatever. She meant we don't ever sit down and just talk to each other. And, and discuss what's going on in our lives and how we feel about life. And you know, she was begging for what I call quality time, undivided attention. He was giving her what I call acts of service. He was serving her. Both of those are love languages. But he was speaking one, and he wasn't connecting with her emotionally. And a lot of lot of husbands and wives don't connect emotionally because they've never learned the other person's love language, or they know it but they choose not to speak it. And consequently. They don't meet that emotional need for love. So that's why I think, you know, the original book, The Five Love Languages, has been so popular. I mean, that book has just gone all over the world. It's been published now in over 60 languages around the world. And I think it's because whatever the culture, we all need to feel loved. Yes. So, yeah, that's a, that's a huge thing. And I would say to guys that might be listening, if you've never read that book, I would highly encourage you to read it. So many people have said to me, Gary, that book literally saved our marriage. I mean, we were at the end of the rope. We read that book and the lights came on. We took the quiz. We learned each other's language. We started speaking it. It literally saved our marriage. So, yeah. Your books are so easy to read. There's so many funny little stories in there. So many practical tips. Heck, this new book, Five Traits of a Healthy Family, has even got uh, addendums. You can go in on online and download some free extra resources yeah. to help you implement some things. And there's a ton of tips in there. If you're doing this, try these six, 10, 22 different things. Like here's a random yeah. menu that you can go pick from. So guys like simple. So I love that you delivered the simple right there. Yeah. You know, years ago, I heard that uh, D.L. Moody, who was an evangelist in the 1800s, like Billy Graham was in our generation. And he said to pastors one day, when you preach, put the cookies on the bottom shelf so the kids can get them. And what he meant was speak clearly and, and simply so people can understand it. And in all my writing, I've tried to keep that in mind and not use a bunch of psychological terms or even theological terms that people don't understand. So I, I try to write so the average person can get it, you know, because <laughs> they can't do it if they don't get it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. What's one question we could ask to help us most accurately determine our wife or our kids' top love language? 
I think uh, I would say two things. I'd say three things informally. One is observe how they express love to you most often and how they express love to other people. For example, if you always hear them giving people affirming words, like on the phone call, they're giving affirming words, probably that's their language because we tend to speak our own language. If they're always giving people gifts, that's a clue that receiving gifts might be their language. Secondly, what do they complain about most often? The complaint reveals the love language. If a wife says, I just feel like we don't spend any time together anymore. I feel like we're ships passing in the night. He's telling you quality time is her language, you know, or, or if he says, I just don't think you would ever touch me if I didn't initiate it. He's telling her physical touch is my language. So what do they complain about? And then what do they request of you most often? What do they request? If they're saying, honey, can we take a walk after dinner? They're asking for quality time. If you go on a business trip and they say, be sure and bring me a surprise. They're telling you gifts is their language. So you put those three things together, you can pretty well figure out your spouse's language. But you can also go online to the, the website, fivelovelanguages.com, and there's a free quiz. He can take it, she can take it, and it shows each of you individually what your primary language is, your secondary language, and what the, one that's, the others that are least important. They told me the other day, Dan, 120 million people have taken that quiz. <laughs> <laughs> I told my I told my publisher because they run the website. You guys should have been charging a dollar piece because <laughs> it's free, you know. <laughs> and they said, "No, we just want people to get it," you know. And I like that about my publisher. <laughs> so you've got a funny answer to Gary. How in the heck twenty million books sold and hundred and twenty million people taking this? Like, how did you do this? I say to people, the short answer is God, and the long answer. Is God. <laughs> it wasn't that I did anything. <laughs> you know, you can't make that happen. The book's been out now more than 30 years, and every year it sells more than the year before. That doesn't happen to books, you know. Uh, so you, you can't make that happen. That, uh, that's a God thing. I, I just yeah. think God is, has used it because it addresses this deep human need that we have to feel love. And, and it, it applies to the, to the parents, obviously, in the marriage, but also to the children. So, you know, there's the Five Love Lanes of Children edition for parents, Five Love Lanes of Teenagers for parents of teenagers. There's one for the teenager, a teen's guide to the Five Love Languages. So, and then a lot of other specialty books that kind of spring off from that, like one for the military, how to speak these languages when you're deployed, mm. and, uh, and all sorts of things, you know. So, uh, uh, it's just, uh, God has just chosen, you know, to use it. I think, it, I think it was, he gave me the idea. Of course, it grew out of my counseling and I observed it in people's lives. But, uh, I think because it meets that deep need, it's just gone word of mouth, you know, all over the world. Yeah. And in your book, you talk about, uh, creative correction and yeah. consistent discipline. So we had yeah. a incident recently where one of my daughters was doing something crazy and just not being a great teammate with the family and I didn't realize, but my wife had disciplined her already. So like yeah. something happened, we couldn't immediate discipline, but as soon as we could, my wife took action and disciplined her. And then later in the day I had talked with my wife. So when I had an opportunity to do something, I said, Hey, uh, I need you to make up a list of how we could start Sundays better. And she says, no, we don't need to do that. Mom already disciplined me. <laughs> And I said, you already got it. <laughs> okay. Tell me, tell me about that. And she says, well, I know there's a punishment coming. And when I do this on Sunday morning, so I ain't doing that again, dad. <laughs> so you got it. <laughs> you know, 
I think whenever we, when, the ideally is whenever we make a rule for our children, we should tell them what the consequences will be. Like, you know, we don't throw the ball inside the house. If you do, the ball goes in the trunk of the car for two days and you can't play with it. Okay. That's logical. The child understands that. You understand that. So if they do throw the ball in the house, you don't go in there and yell at them and say, I told you not to throw the ball in the house. You know better than this. Yeah. No, 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 no. You just go in there and say, oh, Johnny or Mary, you remember the rule about throwing the ball in the house? And they nod their head. Now, you remember what happens because you did that, right? And they start crying and they nod their head. Say, yeah, okay, let's go out to the car. I'm going to put the ball in the trunk of the car. You won't be able to play with it for two days. But listen, I love you. I love you. Most of the time you keep the rules, you know, and I'm proud of you. So you kind of wrap the discipline in love. But but if you know and they know what the consequences are going to be, you're more likely to follow that and not let your emotions control you at the moment. So really important that you let the child know what the consequences will be if they break a rule. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like to get the kids involved in coming up with whatever the correction is, but yeah. other times telling them what it is in advance of. And in this case, she says, why are you doing that again? I don't like the punishment. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I told and they, my wife that my wife you. goes, are you kidding me? She was doing that knowing <laughs> that there could be a consequence, but now that she knows what the consequence is, like, yeah, gotta be consistent with that discipline. Yeah. It reminded right. me of the story, how your son left his bike outside of the shed and he wanted to go ride a bike with his friends. And yeah. the twist was you had John living with you at that time. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, we already told them the consequences. You know, put, you put your bike in the shed every night. If you don't, you lose the privilege to, of using the bike the next day. And so when I confronted him with that, that he left it out and couldn't use it today, he said, but, Dad, all the kids are going to be riding their bikes this afternoon. He said, how about let me ride today, Dad, and not tomorrow. I said, no, son, the consequences were that you don't you lose it the next day. And I said, I know. I said, I'm, I'm sorry for you. Yeah, I can understand how you're disappointed. But when we do wrong, you know, we have to suffer the consequences. And he never left it out again. You know, <laughs> they learn. If, and if the twist just, on that was you had John watching this whole thing. Yeah, John was watching the whole thing. Yeah. And I, I in my own mind, I was thinking, wonder what John's thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think later, you know, John said, you know, Gary, it was interesting to see how you handled that. that you, you were consistent. You, you'd, you'd already told him what would happen. And you were kind. But you administer the discipline, you know, children learn if they don't learn to follow rules and guidelines in the home, they're going to be where so many people are in our country today. They do whatever crazy thing they want to do whenever they want to do it. And, and they don't they don't even feel guilty about it because they've never learned that we have to learn to live by rules and if not suffer the consequences. There's a whole bunch more stuff in this book. We can't cover it all. There's a spot in there about ego and defensiveness for husbands, which is a hot, hot button thing. So guys, get get into the book, check that out, read that part. That'll help you a bunch. And uh, if your wife happens to read those pages, it may help her a little bit too. So Gary, have you got uh, any uh, any last thoughts you'd like to share with the audience? And then I always ask if we can throw a challenge out for guys to do week to week in addition to whatever whatever else you'd like to talk about, something that can help them be a better husband, father, leader. You know, I'm going to tell you uh, guys uh, the most sobering question I ever asked myself about my kids. And that is, what if my kids turn out to be like me? And I asked that question several times on my journey with my kids. What if my kids turn out to be like, what if they drive the way I drive? 
What if they handle money the way I handle money? What if they treat their spouse the way I treat my spouse? And I just, you know, just go down the line. And I made some significant changes in my parenting by asking that question. So I would, I would encourage you to ask that. And, and, and the other is, uh, you know, I, I've been on church staff, working on church staff for years doing marriage and family counseling. But I also asked myself several times, what if every couple in the church, every married couple in the church, had treated their spouse the way I treat mine? And of course, the wife can ask that. What if every couple in the church had a you know, the, the wife treated their husband like I treat my husband? And and that the sobering question, but it'll help you make some significant changes if you're if you're open to that. And I think most of us we really want to be better. You know, I, I, never, I never talk about perfect fathers or perfect marriages. I talk about growing marriages. You know, growing growing parents. Uh, we, we're either growing and getting better, or we're getting worse. It never stands still. So my hope is, and that's why I write my books, is to try to help people grow in whatever area we're talking about. Mm, that is fantastic. I love those two questions. And I was thinking when in the book, that question's in there. What if my kids turn out like me? It's like, approach things from looking at the end in mind. So when you look at the finish line, look at the end, look at the legacy, what you leave behind, and then apply your current situation, your current thoughts, your current actions, your current time schedule commitments priorities does that match the ideal that you've got for down the road the vision that you've got for down the road or if the vision's super foggy and cloudy dial that in a little bit of what you would like to go towards so that you can actually get somewhere close to that point versus drifting through life and ending up wherever things take you yeah yeah you know dan before uh before we got together here I thought, yeah, I think I'd like to share this with Dan and his guys because they're probably not aware of this book. It's another book that I wrote, and I wrote it with an African-American friend of mine, Clarence Schuler, and we wrote it for young men uh, ages 12 to 20. And if you're a dad and you have a, you have a son that falls in that category, it's called Choose Greatness, 11 Wise Decisions That Brave Young Men Make. Choose Greatness, 11 Wise Decisions That Brave Young Men Make. And you can you can get it at Amazon. You can go to fivelovelanguages.com dot com and purchase it there. But it's it's eleven wise decisions, and we we really encourage the father to read this with the with the teenager. That's the teenager reads it, and you read it separately, and then you get together and talk about what could we learn from that chapter. And it'll give you an open opportunity to talk about some things that you know you need to talk about, but sometimes you can't find the right place and time to talk about them, and. Uh, uh, we really believe that it, it, I, I wish I could get this in the hand of every teenager in the country and every father in the country. I really believe it would make a tremendous difference if if teenagers can face these things and choose to make these 11 wise decisions. So it's just another tool that I think can help you, especially in your relationship with your sons. Mm, I'm so glad you brought that up because guys do want to do things, but yeah. we also could use an easy button. We've got all this work stuff to do. We've got all this prioritizing our wife to do. We've got all this lawn mowing to do, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I would like to have those 11 conversations, but what are they? Could somebody craft them for me? And uh, right, yeah. right there in the book. They're right there in the book. Yeah, yeah they're, they're here. Yeah, yeah. You, you, I don't know if we got time or not. I'll give them to you. Yeah, yeah. Number one, number one, choose to seek wisdom from parents and trusted adults. Number two, choose to seek knowledge through education. I deal with the whole educational thing. Choose to make technology work for you. And I talk about the pros and cons of technology. 
Guys, choose to stop be- right there for a second. Choose technology <laughs> to work for you. Apply that to yourself too. Like there's a lot of us that that has some problems there. So yep, yep, the kids right. are one thing, but as Gary said, what if our kids <laughs> turn out to be like us? And guys, I know that's a major problem. The technology thing does work for us, but it majorly works against us too. Sorry to interrupt, but oh my that's gosh. That's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> And, and you can learn. A father can learn as it goes along, too. Choose to be successful. Work hard. You know, it's helping them choose a work ethic. Choose to respect girls and women. And then choose to be sexually responsible. And we talk about what that looks like. Choose to live longer and happier. Part A, avoid drugs and alcohol. And in that chapter, we describe, we give, we give research on the, the consequences of drugs and alcohol. And then choose to live longer and happier. Part B, avoid tobacco and marijuana. And we deal with the consequences of those. And then choose to build diverse friendships. That is, friendships with people of other races and other cultures. Then choose to invest time in helping others. It's, it's trying to build into them the concept, if you see somebody that needs help, let, let's try to help people. And then choose to discover the truth about God. And that's where we're, we're challenging them to, to, to look at the evidence for God and, and of course, Christ and all of that. And then uh, at the end of the book, uh, we have uh, 12 questions to ask before you make any decision. You've got to make a big decision here, 12 questions for you to ask. And uh, so it's just, a, it's just a great tool that will help you as a father talk about these things with your son. And, uh, and and together, you know, and, and the fact he'd like to talk to you about some of this stuff, but he's not going to bring it up. But if, if you're working through a book, it's just natural. And like, this is the next chapter. So we're going to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this. Yeah. How long has that book been out? Uh, it's been out maybe a couple of years now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. No, it sounds like a great one. I love taking these external resources and bringing them in. And then the pressure's not on the, the dad or the husband. Absolutely. It gives, you know, it helps you do things that you know you want to talk to them about it, but you don't know when, you don't know where. And but if you're working through a book together, you know, it's just it's just something we're doing. And the kid, it's good. It's easy for the kid to be open to you, and you to be open with the kid. Yeah, and in in your book, it talks about the scheduling and the routine and pre-planning. So this is yeah. just part of it. Hey, on yeah. Mondays at you know six, right after dinner, we do this, or you know Mondays at eight thirty when we're going to bed, we do this. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And And then checking in during the week, you know, Hey, have you done your reading this week? Yeah. Yeah. Teenagers thrive on structure and children thrive on structure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm so thankful that you brought that up. That sounds like a great, great, great resource. Yeah. I, 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 Clarence and I are really excited about it. We really are. And, uh, we're hoping it gets into the African-American community as well as the Anglo and Hispanic culture and, and all of that, because every teenager, uh, the ideal is to have a father that that talks about these things with them and helps them. Makes, you, you can't make the decisions for your teenager, but talks about them and, and it helps them see why it's, it's wise to make this wise, this decision. And, and really, if they make those 11 decisions, it's going to set them up to be moving towards success in life. We may have Clarence come on for a for an episode. I think I know Clarence. I think I met him through the Fatherhood Commission. Yeah, I'm sure you did. Yeah, he's involved with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So as soon as you brought his name up, I'm like, I know him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Clarence, Clarence would be good. Yeah, he's he. You, 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 your men would enjoy him. 
Yeah, him and uh, Jeff Kemp and uh, Ben Roethlisberger and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Wilson. And yeah, there's a bunch of good guys in that group. Yeah, yep, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Well, Clarence and I have been friends for more than 50 years. Oh, my goodness. And we, and, and we wrote another book. He would he would love to talk with you about this, too. Uh, he wrote a book called, uh, let's see, Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships. Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, in which we're raising this question, what if every Christian in the country had at least one really close personal friend of a different race or culture? You know, we all have acquaintances, but we don't all have friendships. But we believe it would absolutely change the climate in our culture. If it, and, I, and we're writing to Christians because if anybody could do this and should do this, it'd be Christians. And so we're just challenging Christians. Just ask God, you know, is there somebody that I just, I, know, I see them all a lot, you know, run into them a lot at work and say hi and hi and hi. But is there somebody I could really start to develop a friendship with and get have lunch with and then get to know each other? And, of course, Clarence and I were 50 years, I mean, my my two children, grown children, called him their brother, and his <laughs> his three his three grown daughters called me grandpa. I mean, you know, it's just that it's that close that we just our families have just been so close through the years. So it, it makes it makes a huge difference, and we're we're hoping that that Christians will pick up on this idea and concept. And and, and yeah, I'm not asking you to have twenty twenty friends. I'm just saying let's just see if we can have one friendship with somebody of a different race or culture. Yeah, that really helps when you. Uh... Put yourself in somebody else's shoes, uh, the empathy, their perspective, the, yeah. um, yeah, just, just sitting in the other seat and looking at it from their, their view of the world, yeah. uh, you know, and husband and wife, when you put yourself in your wife's seat and what is, what does the world look like to her? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's learning to see the other person's perspective and yes, there are cultural differences. No question about that, but you, you come to understand those differences and to talk about them openly and freely, you know, so that they understand you. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's nice when those tough, tough things are floating around conversations and you say, hey, can you help me? Can you help me get it? Absolutely. Can You help you me may or may not this? think that way, but why is there a group thinking that way? Can you, you know, enlighten me a bit? And yeah, yeah. we, me and my wife both have uh, have had some enlightening conversations that really surprised us. Yeah. So, if you're open and you ask questions, people will talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you're open, yeah, if you're if you're coming in it yeah. with a, a sense of curiosity, uh, yeah. curiosity opens doors that judgment slams shut. So if you come with absolutely. curiosity, it yeah, really, absolutely. really, really can allow you to have conversations that you could be totally afraid to to open up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It will it will change things. So, well, fantastic. Well, I'll reach out to Clarence. Guys, yeah. teasing you, teasing you. I think Clarence will come on. <laughs> <laughs> he, he would be glad to, I'm sure. <laughs> well, fantastic, fantastic. Well, guys, we are gonna. There's gonna be a little bit after this. I'll, I'll throw in a little uh, added, added learning, added teaching that uh, that I've taken from some of Gary's work. And um, anyway, let you guys listen to that. But Dr. Gary, thank you so much for coming on. This was absolutely awesome. Well, thank you, Dan. It was good to be with you, and I appreciate what you're doing. Keep up the good work. And to all the guys that are listening, you know, encourage your buddies <laughs> to plug in. Uh, we can help each other. And it's, we don't have to walk alone. There's a lot of help available today. So God bless Absolutely. you what you're doing. God bless you too. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll put the book link in there. And then we'll also put the download link for the five love languages. You know, just get a few more people onto the 
two million or so a month that are going to your website. <laughs> yeah. All right. Very good. All right. Well, thank you. All right, guys. How was that episode? How awesome is Dr. Gary Chapman? Uh, so grateful that he chose to spend his time with us. So a couple things um, that I just loved from that particular one. I love the zero to 10 scale. How well am I doing? Zero to 10, honey. How well am I doing at loving you? And if she answers anything other than a 10, which I imagine she will, could you give me one or two things I could work on? So I love limiting that to one or two things as opposed to tell me everything. So we can we can handle one or two things, uh, even if they are fairly uh, on point or pointed. Uh, just be ready for that. Uh, but anyway, I thought that was really a, really a cool one uh, to do, uh, something that we could use as a check-in on a somewhat frequent basis. So by our nature, we are self-centered. So by our nature, we are self-centered. And uh, we can tend to look to see what we're going to get out of things. So people have uh, criticized the five love, language, love languages as a way of getting things. And if we get out of that self-centered approach and just look to see what we can give, so many different areas of my life, I think, about giving to others and adding value and, and helping out. However, uh, <laughs> even I fall back on what am I going to get out of, you know, what's in it for me, get into self-centered thought. So hopefully this is a way for you to think through different areas and think about the giving side and think about people as individuals again. And everybody's different. Everybody's different. So from a love language approach, uh, the five different ones for those that haven't read the book or aren't familiar with the book are words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. Often the way that we love others is our primary love life. So if we love words of affirmation, chances are we're really good at giving words of affirmation. Uh, side note, I'm high on words of affirmation. So when it comes to receiving reviews uh, on Apple Podcasts or Audible or um, uh, whatever that other one is out there, uh, the five-star reviews, but especially the words part. So when people type the review and I get to read some somehow where the podcast has impacted them or getting those Facebook messages or on the Christian dad podcast at gmail.com. When somebody sends me an email, just means a lot. Um, that, that really, really lights me up and uh, gets me excited to continue serving people the way that I can. So words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. So our primary love language is generally the way that we'll love somebody else in it. And they may, they might not have the same love language, so you might be doing things for them, but they don't appreciate it or receive it in the way you would expect them to. So by understanding and looking for the differences in people, and then this ties into the book, Five Traits of a Healthy Family, the value, valuing individual differences. So everybody's different and getting to know and understand those around us is a big deal. Earlier, I was talking with uh, Dr. Gary, and he mentioned that uh, when you're away from your spouse, family, friends at distance, and if their love language is time, quality time, how can you give quality time when you're in a different state or different country, different part of the world? And he said, you know, actually a handwritten note can kind of satisfy physical touch, 
and also quality time. So when you're reading a handwritten note, you know that person spent quality time writing that note and you were specifically caring about them. And it also translates over into receiving gifts as well. I already mentioned physical touch sort of fits in there. Um, military guy said his hand said his wife drew a um, drew her just her hand on a piece of paper and sent that to him. And she said, I just want you to be able to feel my hand, you know, every day because I'm going to be missing you and, and looking for you type thing. And the military guy responded with every time he put his hand on that piece of paper, he felt his wife's hand, his wife's love for him. So there's so many different ways where you can apply the five love languages to people you care about and especially your family. I love the part that he talked about uh, your wife being your number one priority. And people say, no, God's the number one priority. Well, God's the boss. So we report to God. And if we report to God, they'll say, hey, you're married. Take care of your wife. Make her your priority. So God's ordering us to make our wife our priority. So you do that and uh, life will go well. So a not happy wife, happy life. Uh, we'll get into that some other time, but I, I can't stand that saying because it's so simplistic and leads you down the wrong path. Wrong path. It doesn't say that in the good book, uh, but prioritizing your wife, cherishing your wife, that's biblical. Something else you could do is ask your wife, zero to 10, how full is your love tank? And it, again, if she doesn't say 10, ask, you know, what's one or two things that you could do, we could do to help get your love tank up to a 10. And it's absolutely okay to make a request of your wife if there's something lacking that you need or would like. So if you're low and you're just feeling, you know, like you're missing out on whatever it is, uh, maybe say quality time. You could say, Hey, you know, could we look next few weekends out and see if we can get a, a night away or a weekend away? I'd love to spend some time with you. It feels like we could use some more connection or, you know, even simpler after dinner tonight, you know, could we go out for a walk? Would love to just spend some time with. It's a way to request what you want in a healthy way. And it's not good to overlook your needs because we do, we have needs as well. So, all right, guys, uh, I just wanted to share with you a few bonus things uh, that I've picked up over the years and there's so much more, but rather than uh, keep this podcast going, maybe we'll get Dr. Gary back sometime and I'm quite sure we'll have Clarence Schuler on sometime here soon uh, to talk about uh, uh, the 11 wise decisions young men make. So, all right, guys, well, I will catch you later. Thank you again. I appreciate you guys greatly. And tell your friends, tell your buddies. Uh, look forward to all of us being on this journey together. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. Hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others, join us inside of the journey of a Christian dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others, have your buddies join, have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith grow as spiritual leaders of their family as we engage in our journey 
and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, thanks for blessing all of us and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.